Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of Uncharted 2, where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape featuring the best songs of the new millennium that Xers may not have heard. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yep. Twelve more cuts of songs since 2000 that did not chart on the Billboard Hot 100. And oh, we got some... Some great selections coming your way today. Yeah, I, I think you're right. When you mentioned um, last week that this is just going to make a great playlist, um, I really encourage, if you haven't heard of most of this music, you know, just, just you know, now the playlist will be out when we drop Side B here. So, um, yeah, just just give it to a, a, a listen in its totality, I should say. Yep. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Hopefully uh, uh, create some new fans out there. Uh, I, I would think definitely. Um Somewhere in this list of 24, I think we have at least one, maybe two songs for everybody. Yep. No matter yep. no matter your specific taste in music. Um, maybe not a lot of hip-hop and, and, and urban type no, deal. No, no. Not a lot of country. We have one, you know, kind of Americana. But well, we, have, we have one that's right on the fringe yeah. of country. We have a lot of, lot of Americana, a lot of folk and, and roots music this time around. Um, but really, I think... Between the two of us, I think we hit very nearly every genre before we're through today. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I think everybody will find something they enjoy. All right. Well, let's just jump into it then, yeah, shall let's, we? Let's do it. All right. So I am beginning with uh, a song called Dreams Tonight, spelled T-O-N-I-T-E, by a band known as Always, spelled A-L-V-V-A-Y-S in the classical sense, from 2017 from Antisocialites is the name of the album. Street. 
Last week, we talked about dream pop, uh, and I saved uh, a few more uh, from this subgenre for this week. You can tell I really like that, uh, that genre. Uh, Always is out of Canada, and maybe my favorite in this, this category of dream pop. And again, people argue, are they dream pop? Are they shoegaze? Uh, are they jangle? And really, I would say that um, Always is a perfect combination of those three subgenres. They're kind of their own thing. Um, they have that jangle sensibility, very dream pop in their sound, and and they got the shoegaze thing going too. So, um, the band cites groups like the Smiths, Pavement, and Teenage Fan Club. So you know, right there, my wheelhouse of Gen X alternative bands um, as their major influences. And although you can hear a through line, always doesn't sound like all of these bands directly. You know, again, yeah. it, it, that's what's nice about it. You hear the influences, but but they're not copying anything. They're they're really their own thing. It's very original. Um, but chances are, if you were an alternative consumer uh, of music, or um, I should say, a consumer of alternative music in the eighties and nineties, uh, I think you will really dig this the, the airy pop sensibility of of always. Um, I was able to actually set. I, I, I heard about them. I'm not sure exactly. Oh, I know where I heard about them. Um, they were scheduled to open up for the Decemberists in Pittsburgh back probably around this time this album came out. And I got there early. It was one of the sh- few shows I went to by myself. I couldn't find someone to go with me to Pittsburgh to see Decemberists. And I kind of made it a, a day where I went and I, I toured the Warhol Museum and I, I walked around and, and, and just kind of soaked in the city. Beautiful city, Pittsburgh is. Hate their football team, but, you know, <laughs> great city. And um, I, I remember just kind of talking to some people that were working at the venue when I was there early, and they said that the opening band was a band named Always, and that they were stuck at the Canadian border. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, but the, their, their bus didn't make it across uh, to, to support the, the Decemberists in Pittsburgh. And they weren't sure what they were going to do as an opening act. Now, sometimes I like an opening act, especially if they're, they're good. You know, sometimes I want to jump right into the band that I was, I was there to see, especially if I'm standing for a long time. Well, this was great because the Decembers came out and um, they actually were their own opening band. What? <laughs> they, they came out in wigs and hats and they did cover songs for 45 minutes. That is hilarious. Isn't that great? They that, come on, that is awesome. They come on like two at a time or four at a time and they would just take turns um, covering their favorite songs as their own opening act. <laughs> okay. That, that is just respect right, right <laughs> it was there. pretty cool yeah it was pretty cool so uh, then i had heard about them from from a friend i'm like oh that's that band i didn't get to see in, in pittsburgh and so i um i just checked out um their back catalog again i think three three records and instantly became a fan um really really good stuff here um i i, I just i think people are really really gonna like them well, i'll tell you what, this is my number two. Oh, good yeah be your man was is hands down my favorite of your of your 12 but yeah dreams tonight Oh, and from the, from the very beginning, I mean, when you and I first started making our our first list of suggestions, this is the one that I just I've been in love with ever since. Her voice is so ethereal. Oh yeah, and it is so 
it, it's it's almost angelic. Yeah. I mean, she has this lulling. It, it, it's the dream pop vocal. It, it, yeah, it's yeah. dream pop. I mean, it's like a siren yeah. call, yeah. You know, a siren song. And um, the jangle pop, without question, because after I heard this one, I, I started, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was hooked, and I went to their background, uh, their, their back catalog, and yeah, I mean, it's jangle pop all the way. I, yeah. I totally. It's my, it, this is my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's, right an, it's, it's another one I just, I as I was listening, like, oh, hell yeah, this was a this was a given Dave was going to include this from the get go I finally um, did get to see him at the Nelsonville Music Festival and they didn't disappoint um, it, it, it was during the summer so I always associate them with as like a summer band I don't know why other than the fact that that's when I saw them but um, yeah just, just real catchy hooks yeah um, good stuff and it's you know Dreams Tonight too. it's it, it's it's so repetitive but that is not I, I do not say that in any way negative I mean mm-hmm. it, it's it's it is almost just—I don't even know how to describe it. It's—it's it's just lulling, you know. It's—it it, just—it it just seeps into you, yeah. And it just—it—it encompasses, it, it, it envelops you. Well, it's got and a great—it's got a great um, uh, middle eight too. I mean, the, the, the bridges that they they construct to, right. to support, oh, yeah. you know, their their yeah. songs are, are really interesting as well. Yeah. No, it's just, it's a beautiful song from start to finish. And there's a throwback to it. Maybe not this song in particular, but a lot of their songs have a, have almost a, a 60s uh, feel to them. Like a throwback to... Yeah, I, I caught Kind that. of like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to say, how do I describe it? Um, what, what am I trying to think of here? I'm trying to think of some bands that I would refer to, but it just it just has a retro feel to it. Yeah, no, it, it does. And I, I caught that. Um not this song. No, no, not this. This song, this right. song is. This song feels very nineties. Mary Archie, have you heard that song? That's one that, that yeah. really feels yeah know, retro. Very yeah. It's it's just it's it's an amalgamation of of just. They're so good, we're speechless. Folks. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> they're so good, it, we can't it, describe. Well, I don't know that I can name a band from the sixties that reminds me specifically. It's more. It's more just like they took the best of AM sixties radio. Yes, you know, yes, and just yes, yes, yes. they played with it. They tweaked it. They made it their own. It's it, it's very retro, but I. Yeah, but not a specific no, band retro. No, no, not it's at just all. A, it's just a feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, it's good stuff. I'm gonna start with that one. I'm not gonna say more about it because really I wouldn't do it justice. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, this one actually, I, I don't know. This one actually would go really well following, following. Always. Um, my next one is Grizzly Bear, and the name of the song is Two Weeks.
now, many listeners, I would think, should be familiar with the stunning bounce of Grizzlies. Yeah, I want to know why, because I came across them a while back and uh, always loved, uh, especially the keyboard riffs of the song. Oh, yeah. I thought I was the only one that that, had heard of them, so apparently not. No, likewise, I I have not had, I've not, I don't bring them up in conversation regularly. I mean, (laughs) I don't bring any band up regularly, but yeah, the few people that I had talked to, no one had ever heard of them either. Um, and I'm not sure why. I mean, it's it's just. Well, actually, I have an idea why. I am. Let let me take a step back. Yep. Um, first of all, the song is just unapologetically pretty. <laughs> it's retro. It's charming. Um, there, there are plinking quarter notes on the piano that introduce a vocal whoa harmony that that just complements the honeyed croon of singer Ed Drosty. There's a little Fleet Foxes there. There is, yeah, yeah there is. Uh, the musical arrangement, it crawls forward as every sound kind of lands in polished and meticulous fashion. And they are very meticulous. Um, the song feels timeless in that it, it has shades of 60s psychedelia, echoes of 80s new wave, while simultaneously chiming like Paco Bell's Canon in D. It also is very Baroque. Um, and yet it sounds unlike any song past or present. You know, it just, it's one of those that you listen to it and you can hear all of these influences, but none is. It sounds timeless. It, it does. Yeah. yeah, very much. Um, and, and here's the thing about Grizzly Bear that I've come to learn. And I don't know a lot about them. I, I, I know a good deal of their music, but not all of it. But I, I get the feeling, I sense that they can come across to many people as very boring in some ways. Uh, Background music? Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much. Uh, The the 2009 album uh, from which this comes, it's titled Vacatomist. Um, And it is so polished, folks, uh, so polished, that Walter Becker and Donald Fagan would be embarrassed by by its perfect sound. But they would also be absolutely thrilled to take part in its existence yeah. Oh, yeah. you know it, it is an album searching for perfection that sounds beautifully flawed um, and, and very gloriously capricious I mean it, it just revels in being both um, here's the thing the music industry today I, I think it's it is so concerned with backstories and and, and not enough um, it's far too lacking the music industry with f- in, in good old dedication to craft, you know? Um, I don't know how else to say that. Gr- Grizzly Bear is an outlier. I mean, it's a square peg. It doesn't fit neatly into the round hole of corporate music expectations. I think that's the, the major issue. Uh, the band is just about as boring as they come. They're, they're four unassuming guys who very, very quietly just set out to make a fantastic record, and, and they do it. And a lot of people, you know, you, you just mentioned it, a lot of people do classify them alongside American folksters like Fleet Foxes or, or Bon Ever, who we talked about last week. Um, but to me, that's a, that's, that's a common error. It's like comparing the real-life grizzly bear to a scrawny park squirrel, <laughs> you know? I, in the years since Ed Drosty released uh, the lo-fi solo album Horn of Plenty under the, under the grizzly bear name, that was back in 2004, he and the band have proved themselves to be more than mere backwoods strummers. I mean... They'd become favorites of Radiohead, uh, that I know. They won over American late-night talk show hosts. They played tonsil tennis for a while with Feist. And they joined um, the Brooklyn Philharmonic, even, for a one-night one live collaboration. 
um, that was very well reviewed and, and you know a lot of like Pitchfork I, I know they, they raved actually Pitchfork raves about Grizzly Bear all the time um, but despite all this there's there's the lack of any aesthetic gimmick you know I, they don't record albums in log cabins they don't have you know um, untrimmed beards you know they're just four unassuming guys and I think uh, that is what has allowed them to remain an enigma. Um, but on the strength of two weeks, the Cadmus should have made them much better known. And I, I don't think it has. It's just, it's really interesting to me at how few people know this band. I came across some, uh, what year was this? Um, two weeks. Yeah. was uh, released in 2009. Okay, so um, that must have been around the time then. Uh, our, our Whatever cable package we had, maybe we had ATTU-verse, whatever. You know, you, you have those auxiliary channels that you discover sometimes. Right, yeah. And I, I think it was uh, Much Music. It's a Canadian music television where they actually still play videos. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it was Much Music. And, and during that span of time, I discovered, well, the biggest treasure was the Decemberist. Uh, I also discovered uh, Fits in the Tantrums, uh, uh, Money Grabber, uh, and then Grizzly Bear. This two weeks was another video, um, that, that, and it's probably ten more. It was it was an embarrassment of riches at the time, which is why I miss uh, you know music television. I know you can go to YouTube and you can look up anything, right? But yeah. but here every evening, and then had I think they had different hours based on genre, right? Um, so this was like the, the indie alternative um, hour or two hours every evening. And I just was introduced to a whole host of music. And then I just paired that with Spotify and started listening to those songs in Spotify. And that's when the algorithm picked up. So um, there is there is a place for that type of channel, that type of programming. And it seems like they don't really last very long because there was another one that popped up, I forget, and it didn't last very long, but they were great and they would play live shows. And that's where I, yeah, that's where I heard about them first. Well, well, here's the thing. I think if music television still existed, Gen X would be all in. I think we would, I would certainly sit down and watch. Well, there's MTV videos. Classic, which R- right, we can watch, yeah. although it's mostly commercials. True. And there's MTV Two, which I, it has a lot more music than, than actual MTV. But. Right. But, but here's the thing. We, we're all, we're sold. I mean, because that's the, that's nostalgia. Right. You know, even if it is new artists, I, I think we would tune in. Gen Z and the millennials before them, you know, the problem is Gen X is not, no one sells to Gen X. No right. One, no one cares about our opinion. We're too small and too insignificant for the corporate world. So, you know, they, they look to the boomers who, of course, never watched on TV to begin. And the millennials and the Gen Zers who well, probably don't even believe us when we tell them that MTV used to have well, don't videos. forget the millennials <laughs> so. had um, had uh, what was the Daily Countdown show with Carson Daly, uh, Total Request Live, where oh, yeah. after school for an hour, sure. yeah, they, you know people vote for the top ten. That's where right. Britney Spears and, and Christina Aguilera and a lot of the you know uh, boy bands um, became popular. So MTV was still a force musically, even in the late nineties. Right. But that's, that's early, right. Early millennial though. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just really, we've always been the forgotten middle child. So, I mean, no one sells to us. We're not 
in a demographic that anybody cares about. And I get it. It's tough to sell advertising when you just have music for 24 hours, which, right. by the way, is the reason Total Request Live came about, because when they started like developing shows like Road Rules, people tuned in that specific hour. Yeah. When you get lots of people tuning in at a specific time, then you can sell advertising. And Total Request Live was great because every every kid was tuning in and, and they were making a ton on, on advertising. Yeah. Um, that's why it's just difficult. Though. Well, that and I think YouTube, YouTube was was the next step in, right. the, in the evolution of of uh, you know on demand music. Yeah, it's, it and that's the thing. I don't think today's youth today's youth would never sit there and casually wait for a song they want to hear. Right now, when they can, you know, type, type in the URL right, right. or type in the band into the the search engine, and right there is the song. It's oh. it's a different. It's total, total uh, entertainment forever, as uh, Mr. Josh Tillman saying yeah, about yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, we're getting to that stage now where it's so individualized and so on demand that there's little room for new stuff. Which, which I appreciate. I mean, I'm not one to complain that we can listen to anything we want at any time. I mean, there were growing up. I mean, you know, we were at the mercy of the radio. We had no means to to find the songs that we wanted, and if the record store did not carry that particular album. You know, you you didn't you didn't have a copy of it. Um, but there was also something so endearing about waiting for the song that you wanted to hear. Sure, because it it was almost like we were putting in effort, which which allowed us to invest right. in, in in the recording. There's no investment today, and, and I think in that way, music is not as connected to the listener as it once was. Well, and, you, and you're also invested because you, most people had to save up their allowance, right? So you really had to make right. your choices as to what record or 45 you wanted to buy. True. And then you brought it home and you looked at the album art and you read the lyrics and you read the inserts and, and, and you played it over and over. And then, like you said, it was communal because then people would come over to hear the record. Uh, oftentimes, you'd make a copy of it on tape for them. I was going to say that. That's, so you'd tape trade. That was the mixtape, yeah. And, and so, yeah, it was a very communal experience. Yeah. It's, it's, that's just been lost. And I mean, I, it makes me sad for the new generation, but they don't know what they're missing. And frankly, I don't think they'd have the patience. No, but there is a community it. aspect to it now, again, with TikTok. True, um, yeah. I, I, I DJed a, a dance for sixth graders last week, and I was shocked at, at how many songs. Like, oh, here's a good example. A teacher requested It's Tricky from Run DMC. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard that song since like 1988. But I, I played it almost every wedding. And they eat it up. But I'll, yeah, I'll make an exception for this teacher. And all of a sudden, these sixth graders are singing every single lyric to the oh, song. Yeah. I'm like, how do they know this? It's got to be TikTok. Um, TikTok, what else? Uh, there, there's a song now, uh, well, the Rickroll song, you know, from Rick Astley. Right. There's a remix of that out. And so uh, I'm, playing, I'm playing songs that are new to, newer to us, but w would be considered old to sixth graders, like Call Me Maybe, Party in the USA, uh, Living on a Prayer. And they're dancing and singing every single word of these songs. Oh, yeah. So there's still a communal aspect to music. It's still communal, but it's not the same... Well, I, it's a moot discussion. It's a moot point, really. I just I, I feel bad for what they they lack. But here's the thing: they they now are a generation that knows no patience. I mean, everything is instantaneous. Inst I mean, instant gratification. You type it in, it's there. So I don't know that. I don't think they would find any charm in waiting for a song to come on. Yeah, I, I just I, I just don't. Um, which I, I get. I mean, it's the the world we we live in. Um, I don't know how we got on this topic. How do we get? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I did my no turn idea. here. It is your turn. I think. I 
It is now, regardless. Go. All right. So, so this this next band is 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 my favorite band that I discovered um, this year. Um, it, it's finally seeped into the category of you know you start like oh I kind of it's kind of cool to like hey I, I kind of like this to just you just take a head first dive into everything and can't get enough of it and that 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 is Karungbin for me. Um, maybe the best example of what my wife would call. <laughs> background music this time should be correct yes but um the, the boy there's there's something here i had a friend over uh i think we watched a football game afterwards a lot of times we'll just throw on youtube and introduce each other to different music that we're into and he pulled up a pitchfork um sponsored concert of Kurung Bin, and from from the very first note uh i was hooked i'm like what what, what is this where has this been why is how why has this been kept for me uh, I sat there transfixed for an hour, and if you get a chance, probably a great introduction to the band, go out to YouTube and, and just type in Karung Bin, because of the K, and um, Karung Bin and Pitchfork, and you can watch that concert. And it's just, oh, okay. So um, they're primarily an instrumental band, which can turn a lot of people off, right? Now, being a, a lyrics second guy, that, that doesn't daunt me. You know, I, I love the music it comes first for me. And so this band just clicked. Um, so let me start here. So this came out in 2017, and it's a song called Evan Finds the Third Room. Great song. I kind of picked this one because it, it has more lyrics than, than most of their songs, right? Uh, it's not completely instrumental. There, there's, there are a couple refrains and, and some, song, some words that are repeated. So I chose this one. It's from their album, uh, Con Todo el Mundo. Um, there's a, a lot of Latin influence in their music. They're from Texas. There's also a lot of world music uh, influence, uh, Thai music specifically. In fact, that's where the name of the band comes from. Karungbin is Thai for airplane. Lee, who's the bassist, was actually studying Thai at the time. It's actually what brought her and Mark Spear, the uh, the, the lead guitarist, together because they both had a, a love of Thai music, and she was learning um, Thai at the time. And so somehow, now they do admit, had they known the band was going to go anywhere, they wouldn't have called it Karungbin because <laughs> it's a stumbling block for a lot of people, even just to pronounce. And so, yeah, like yeah, we probably should have chosen a different name, but you know, they they got their success with that name. So. Evan finds it, yeah. So Evan finds a third room is this kind of, it, it represents their mix of 
There's a little bit of soul, a little bit of psychedelic pop, a little bit of world music, as I mentioned, that really, to me, makes them the most unique act to appear in, in, in a long, long time, at least that I've heard. The band actually grew out of a gospel band in a Houston church. Yeah. They were gospel. Well, I, I, kind of, I guess you should say more like a, probably like a praise band. Okay. You know, in, in, in mainline Protestant evangelical churches, um, you know, they, 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 it's, um, it's a form of, of pop rock. But it's okay. it's it's not gospel in the musical sense, but in a spiritual sense, right? Okay. They're just Christian pop tunes. Okay, so it's not like Black Baptist Church, I, I, the soul and the see. But I don't know because it would also make sense if it was a Black church. Um, the, the the drummer, who's DJ uh, Johnson Jr., is an African American percussionist who was in that band. Now Mark uh, Spear is white, but uh, he may have played, you know, in an okay. actual gospel. So I didn't dig that far in to, to see exactly what kind of church, but. They did begin, you know, as a church band. Let's okay. just put it that way. And um, like I said, uh, Mark Spear ran into Laura Lee, who at the time I think was a guitar player but didn't play bass. And so I'm not sure if they dated. In fact, they still might. Date. I don't know their personal story, but he taught her how to play bass. And then he and the percussionist, they got together and they formed this trio. And they just kind of started experimenting. They would they would listen to music a lot together, and then they would say, "Hey, let's 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 try something out this, try something out like this uh, on their own." And then they started, you know, just composing these songs. It's kind of interesting how they they compose. So, like I said, D DJ Johnson Jr., who is their very very good drummer, um, always starts with with some type of rhythm he lays down, and then Laura Lee, who just Great to see on stage. I, I'm not to be misogynistic, but she's quite sexy. I will say I'm, I'm putting her music first, but I'm just saying she also has a stage presence that's that's mesmerizing. I know you're 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 disclaiming for the listeners and not for me. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just let you go. Very mesmerizing. <laughs> um, they they uh, both Mark and Laura wear um, Cleopatra wigs on stage. They wear black Cleopatra wigs on stage. Oh. So and, and, very Mia Wallace and and yeah yeah and and Laura <laughs> Lee never wears the same outfit twice when she performs live. Okay, and she's got this old retro Fender bass with the, what they call the ashtray. It was like this little uh, silver metallic cover at the base of the strings. I was just for many reasons, and then being a bass player, I was also drawn to her and her playing. Very very creative, especially as a newer bass player. And so anyway, so um, the percussionist, he lays down the track and then she goes in and she starts to play around and she writes bass lines. And then Mark then comes in finally at the end and, and lays down his guitar part, oftentimes um, having to fulfill the role that the, uh, the, the vocalist would fill. Because there, there's, like I said, most of their songs do not have vocals. And so he uses his guitar to fill that part of the melody. And so what comes out of that is just an eclectic mix of music that's just, to me, and to a lot of other fans, very exciting. In fact, I was listening to them at school, and a new teacher was walking by and uh, stuck her head in and said, Karung Ben. And I'm like, what? You know them too? And we became instant friends because, you know, it's one of those bands that uh, when you find someone else that likes them, you know you're in an exclusive club. Right. Not because I don't, I don't think their music's accessible, just because they haven't you know, earned that, that, that mainstream commercial success yet. But uh, they're completely respected by musicians nationwide. In fact, their latest two EPs features Leon Bridges um, on lead vocal. Right. And uh, they have a song, a, a single out now called B-Side, which is really, really good. Huh, I have to yeah. give that one a lesson. Yeah, yeah Leon, Leon Bridges was on my list for this two-part episode until the last minute. I love Leon Bridges. Some, if we do this next season and he has not become a 
chart success on the on the Hot 100, I'm definitely throwing Leon Bridges into the mix. Yeah. Um, well, Karungbin, you you had introduced them to me before. Now, I mean, you you had played some of their music for me. I really dig them. I mean, they they're the real deal, and what they do is just it's mesmerizing. I don't know that I enjoy the song that you chose for this episode as much. Though. Okay, yeah. Only because it's so it's it's a beautiful number, but it's just. To me, it's just too soft. It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't right. yeah. go anywhere. It just and and that might. Be but that's right. kind of the point of Krung Ben. There's yeah, it, it's about. It's not about getting from point A to point B. Right. No, I. I realize. It's about living in the moment. Yeah, and I, I totally get that. This one, it's just so. I think it's just too. Again, I've used this word for already in in the past two episodes, but uh, but it's lulling. You know, it 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 almost is music. This particular track is one that I find myself doing the head nod to. My eyes are closed. It's hypnotic. Yeah, it, is. it really it is. is. Um, but you've played some some music from them uh, for me where it was a little more rousing. Yeah, no, there's so, some, some more to be talking Yeah, so it, it was really, I, I think, I mean, it's beautiful. I could fall asleep to this melody and I would have the most peaceful rest I think I've ever had. But I don't know. This is actually more of, more of I would consider a, a dance number for them. It's it's more of a really yeah more of a dance number compared to theirs. Now. Okay, because you haven't played a lot for me, and I have not looked them up. I just remember we were in the car, and you you gave me a few samples, yeah, and, right. and the couple that you played for me were a little more lively. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to speak no no names. no. I don't yeah, want yeah. you to misconstrue. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I love this song. I I just chose it. Like I say, there are other songs I like better than this, but I chose it because there are more lyrics, and I didn't want the fact that they're completely instrumental to turn off some of our listeners. Gotcha. Well. I could have chosen the Leon. Actually, I think I didn't choose the, the single with Leon Bridges, which is a really accessible well, song. Well, that was my fault. Because I, you had him on there for a while. I had, I had Leon Bridges on And I guess I could have list. thrown that back on, but I just decided to stick yeah. with this. Um, no, it's, it's good stuff, though. I mean, if you... You know, I, I do love instrumental music. I mean, we did, we did the instrumental, you know, mixtape uh, just not too long ago, but... Um, I don't need lyrics, and and you're right. I mean, sometimes lyrics serve as a vehicle only to create an additional sound, a layer of sound right, to the right. music. Um, lyrics are not always important. I'm just mm -hmm. it's the English teacher in me. I, I hook onto the pope. Yeah, know, this one lyrically is very it's very it's, shallow. There's there's really yeah, nothing lyrically going on here. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's and it's sparse, and right. and, the, and the lyrics are very soft. I right. mean, there's not even they're not even they're definitely not a central focus of the song. Yeah, um, Laura Lee sings one word. Yes. Yeah, over yeah. and over again. It's a lot of yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it, it is a beautiful number, though, I, and I'm I'm a fan. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna look them up and, and really start learning more about them. I hate so. to say too, it's they, they may be more of a musician band, and what I mean by that is all the people that I know that like Krungbin, most of them are, are musicians, uh -huh. and so they are listening to it. It's almost like you know when movie people watch movies, right? A lot of times they're not even paying attention to the story. You know, you're looking at camera angles. You're looking at the the tone, the filters that are being used, uh, how how they build an emotion using other things that, uh, than the dialogue. And I think that's the kind of band too that I'm not claiming I'm a musician. Like, yeah, I play bass, but I, I don't. I'm not gifted enough to have true musician ears, if that makes sense. Right. But yeah. those people that I played this for who do have those musician ears, like like the drummer, like I've always I like the drummer, uh, but to me. You know, I like a lot of drummers, and and the musicians tell me like, oh, you know, this guy, he's kind of loose. He's not. 
well, I played this in a car for a musician friend. And right away, he's like, oh, my gosh, this drummer is just out of this world. And I'm like, oh, OK, good. You know, I mean, I, I didn't know that. I know I know I enjoy the music. But right. so I think when musicians listen to Krungbin, they really hear something solid, unique and tight. That's cool. I, I don't I, I'm a drummer. I've played percussion for well over 30 years. So like you, I play, but I don't have the ears for that either. Right. I mean, it's I'm, I've always been much more holistic in, in you know, just enjoying Enjoying the song for for its emotional heft, yep. I think yep. that 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 to me has always been key. Yep. Is just you know my connectedness to a song, um, but no, definitely Kringman is. I, I do. I really intend to look them up and and give them a really good listen. If nothing else, listeners, check out that Pitchfork. Or there's also at um, um, you know there's a Austin City Limits, which is a, a, a series. They're on Aussie, uh, there's a Austin City Limits um, of theirs as well. I don't know if there's a Tiny Desk concert or not. There might even be a Tiny Desk concert of, okay. uh, for NPR of, of Krungbin. Yeah. So check them out. Well, can I just point out yeah. that I think we're in agreement. Pitchfork is the most pretentious, oh, yeah. most elitist. I, yeah. I, as soon as you get any commercial I, success, yeah. they, they turn I, their back I on cannot, you. I cannot stand Pitchfork. <laughs> I think they are... But I, I still go to them for but I suggestions. Do too. I do too. And I've met, I have, I have discovered so many very good bands and artists from Pitchfork. Yeah. And it, it makes me sad because that Rolling Stone used to be my go-to. Right. You know, Rolling Stone just, uh, it's not the same level of right. uh, awareness now. Um, but yeah, I hate Pitchfork. But we have like we've given them so much endorsement in the past. Well, you just gotta, this episode in last you gotta week. You got to take it with a grain of salt, you know. Like like the Decemberists when they were indie darlings, their earlier records, Pitchfork, you know, gave them high marks. Right. As soon as they began to cross over a little bit, I don't. I mean, their music really didn't change all that much. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, they're giving lower marks to those records. So, uh, Caroline Rose, same thing. You know, yeah. they'll find these artists that they kind of hold up, but. Once they're no longer their own darlings, they kind of have a tendency to turn their back. Yeah. What I like about Pitchfork, though, they'll go back and retro review albums. I don't know if you've caught that. Yeah, I have. Like yeah. they'll go, like they went back and they and they. I think uh, Nebraska was one that they gave a review and they gave it. They usually what they they find albums they consider to be ten out of ten, and then they'll write a review based on that. Right. Uh, I think Nebraska was one. Yeah, and no, I've I've seen a, a few of their retro reviews and. Um, because music so, oftentimes later in the context, you, it, you don't find its true power until right. later. But I also wonder how much of that is an attempt to appease a certain demographic that may be reading their, I, I don't know. I, th- I think sometimes I, they like to be quirky because, you know, you consider it like pitchfork, true pitchfork aficionados would not be Springsteen fans, right? Right, yeah, no. So they come along and say, hey, here's a 10 out of 10 by a guy that you probably have ignored. See, look, we also can, you know... Yeah, it, it's almost a reverse snobbism, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like our audience is so snobby that we're going to introduce an album that they would never think of listening to, and tell them that it's a ten out of ten, so they start listening to it. Which and it's, <laughs> which is counterintuitive, but still very much in the the hipster yes. realm. Oh, it's very you know? no, it's, oh, it's, hipster it's, is the best way that, to describe yeah, it. Yeah, that's what Pitchfork. But is. over half of what Pitchfork reviews and, and, and claims is is hip hop. There's a lot of hip hop on there. Kendrick Lamar is a darling of theirs. Um, Taylor Swift also gets very high marks, so they're not just indie music, right? No, no, but it's it, it, but, it, but they're real. Like 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 they can tell that Taylor Swift, even though she's a pop artist, there's a lot of substance there. I mean, she's going to go down as that gener- one of that generation's greatest performers because she's a true artist, right? Uh, and they recognize that. So I, they're the real deal. They just get a little too snobby for my taste sometimes. Yeah, I just laugh I just, at it. I laugh it off. I do too, but I, it's it's just one of those that like 
I go to Pitchfork and I feel dirty for going to Pitchfork because I, I'm, I'm, it's almost a shame and yeah. a guilt because I don't like Pitchfork, but but I I read everything they write. They were the ones that, that famously called, uh, they, they coined the term, um, the reviewer coined the term of dad rock after listening to right. um, Impossible Germany by Wilco. And they also, um, oh, who did they just... Who did they trounce? Oh, Father John Missy, we were talking about. They're the ones that, that, that just said his lyrics were too too obvious and yeah. not very thought-provoking. So, <sighs> All right. Well, <laughs> it just cracked me up because we brought them up so many times last week and this yes. week. And, yeah. of course, now we just spent a good five minutes That's okay. talking about them. That's all right. Um, yeah, so we gave them a plug. Maybe someday they'll give us a plug. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but Because we are dad rockers. I get it. Um all right, speaking of Taylor Swift, that's a good lead-in. Uh, my next pick is by uh, The Bleachers. This is one that Dave thought last week I was going to uh, begin discussing when I said, when I was talking about Don't Lose Sight and when I was talking about just the the jubilant energy of, of Lawrence. Um, makes perfect sense that he thought I was leading into Bleachers because Bleachers is phenomenal. Um, it is actually a side project and I say that with quotation marks because it has now lasted for about eight years and through three albums. But it is the side project of Jack Art Antonoff. Um, if you don't know that name, he was, well, he's worn many hats. Among them, he was the guitarist for the pop rock band Fun. We Are Young, Some Nights, Carry On. Um, he also has written music with, helped produce, and collaborated with a number of major stars, including Taylor Swift. Mm. Uh, a good portion of 1989 was written by and, and co-produced by Jack Antonoff. Um, so, I can see that because because there's a there's a pop. I don't know. What, is he a pop producer? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, a songwriter producer. Yeah. Yeah, because because even though this feels it has an indie feel to it, it's much more commercial. Yeah. Than a lot of other indie music. Exactly. Yeah. So we, yeah, we were just talking Taylor Swift. So that gave me a, a kind of a lead in here. Um, you know, as the guitarist for Fun, Jack Antonoff helped build a sound that brought almost a t Eltonian, you know, Elton John. Eltonian, nice. Yeah, I like that. Elton John grandeur uh, to the kind of open wound introspection that, that usually is confined to the dark, comfy corners of emo records, you know. But since Fun has, has broken up, he, he just of his own accord individually, he started this side project, again, quotation marks, very much emphasized, The Bleachers. And... With this new band, he goes deeper into his 80s synth rock and arcade fire influences, really. Uh, he, he piles snazzy hooks and naughty feelings into ravenously over-the-top therapy rock. That, that's the best way I can describe it. Uh, the Bleacher's 2014 debut was titled Strange Desire. That's the album from which my song comes. The song's title, again, Roller Coaster. Um, that album is full of anthemic pop songs, uh, almost all of which you can dance to. Uh, the dominant instrument is the synthesizer, but it's used in more of a new wave than Madonna style. Um, there are also blazing guitar solos. It's an album steeped in 80s pop rock, uh, maybe the last time that rock bands could make unabashedly catchy mainstream music and be big stars, okay? And without ever making it feel less than zero contemporary, Antonov somehow borrows from different acts of the era. Um, for instance, Shadows is one song on the album. It has a jangly Graceland guitar line. 
And then there's You're Still a Mystery, which is a rollicking number. And it, it, it sounds like what a happy demo, uh, what a happy Depeche Mode would sound like. If you can imagine happy such. Depeche, a happy mode. Depeche that's mode. an oxymoron for yeah, you. Yeah, it is. But if you can imagine such a thing, you would be right there uh, with "You're Still a Mystery," which is uh, one of the tracks on the album. In fact, Depeche Mode and Erasure member uh, Vince Clark contributes to this album. There are a lot of uh, contributors to this uh, album, "Strange Desire." But the biggest touchstone uh, and the single greatest influence on Antonoff's work is '80s Bruce Springsteen. Okay, uh, Antonov often sings in a boss-like manly croon. He lets himself loose on full-throated choruses. Um, while the album is considerably brighter than Tunnel of Love, <laughs> the synth sound is very much the same. Um, and in its affinity for Springsteen, Bleachers feels like a cousin of another New Jersey act, the, the Gaslight Anthem. Um, but Gaslight Anthem, I mean, they mix its spring, their, their Springsteen influences with social distortion, working class punk. Right. You know, Antonov takes them in a more new wave direction. And the songs are, they're, they're nervy, they're fast paced without ever spinning out of control. Uh, they hit breakneck speed and, uh, you know, but they don't do anything that would make them inaccessible in any way. Mm -hmm. uh, Antonov never fails to go for the big sing-along chorus. And, and Strange Desires, I mean, it was a pretty remarkable debut. Uh, there's such a vast cross-section of pop music that has been ingested, digested, reconstituted in a way that is so unique that Antonoff really should be duly congratulated. Um, some might balk at the idea of the solo side project, but it's clear that Bleachers is so much more than a vanity project. I mean, it provides Antonoff with just this venue of, uh, really for any sound that, that he wants to explore. And he does so with a sensibility and control that's unfortunately getting harder and harder to find nowadays. I mean, when you listen to the album from, from start to finish, you will hear the influence of Talking Heads. You'll hear the influence of um, Joy Division. You'll hear, it's all there. Um, so which song did I choose? That was the hard part. Because I, I went into this and I really could not decide. In the end, uh, selecting the one track to represent Strange Desires, I mean, it was really just the most difficult decision I probably made for the entirety of, of my list. But in the end, I, I chose the third single from the album, which was titled Roller Coaster. just a, a colder hearted update of I melt with you um, if you listen to modern English and then you listen to, to roller coaster you'll hear it I mean it's very it's not the same song but but he lifts from I melt with you very much uh, for for roller coaster um, 
And it also has that very soaring Springsteen, almost dancing in the dark, uh, you know, rousing uh, sing-along to it. Uh, it's, this is the most accessible of the songs that are in that vein uh, of, of, you know, Springsteen uh, tribute. Um, his New Jersey heritage is worn proudly on his sleeve with his fist-pumping whoa-oh-oh's on, on roller coaster. And, and you know, there are biting telecasters that would surely do the, the boss proud. It's just, this album from start to finish is just incredible. Every track, all 11 tracks, they, they sound like they fell from the soundtrack of any John Hughes movie, really. And it, it makes it so retro, but also so perfect. Yeah, so. no, I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, that's why I thought you were gonna select it last time based on, on your description, because for me, this is just, it's, 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 it's power new wave pop. Yeah, exactly. At least based on this song. I don't know the rest of their catalog. That, uh, t- for me, would, would motivate me to get going when I just feel like sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. You know, I think I talked about that before. I have, I have music that motivates me, or, or I try to. And so if I'm just sitting around feeling like doing nothing but sitting on the couch, this is the kind of song, you know, if I had to clean, I could pop this on and probably eke out enough motivation to get going. You know? Yeah. No, it's... it's the entire album. There, there's one track that's very divisive because he has contributing background vocals of all people, Yoko Ono. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And that, I mean, music critics raved about this album upon its release, including Pitchfork, I might add. But Yoko Ono, that particular track, that one is very divisive, okay. which, which you can, I don't need to explain why. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, um, and and as I said, he did uh, as I we talked about off off mic. Um, he's contributed. I mean, Springsteen has contributed. He's performed with Springsteen a number of times. The boss actually is a huge fan, which I know Antonoff in interviews has just gushed because Springsteen is his god. You know, he he loves the boss. So um, yeah, no, it's 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 a great album. So I'd, I'd encourage anyone to pick it up or, or the two albums that followed. But yeah, Strange Desires, it is pure 80s. I mean, it's just yeah, awesome. Looking forward to, to delving into their stuff. Very good. All right, so my next one, um, I talked about The Preachers last week as being a song I can't get enough of. This is the second one from this summer that I can't stop listening to. Um, it is a song called Corners Pressed by a band called Letting Up Despite Great Faults which is probably a band our listeners have never heard of. A band I never heard of. <laughs> so it's, it's their most recent release, came out in 2020 from their album Four. And yet another dream pop, jangle, shoegaze band. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is, again, right in my wheelhouse. Uh, although this one's pr- probably the most obscure of the ones that I've talked about.
I discovered this Texas band while watching highlights from a past South by Southwest festival. Uh, I think it was on YouTube and just immediately hooked. And, 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 you know, like any musical festival, you have the bigger stages and the smaller stages. They, they were playing at some rooftop bar in downtown uh, Austin and, uh, you know, with a small audience, it's, which tells me, you know, they're still kind of up and coming. But, um, man, I just was hooked right away. Uh, frontman Mike Lee writes and produces all the band's music, and it's just, just the, the guitar hooks are just so catchy. And, and the melodies that they weave in. Um, I think I, I talked about real estate on our last Uncharted. It reminded me a lot of real estate yeah, in, in, in their, their structure. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, they did find exposure, so it's not like no one's ever heard of them because um, their music, uh, one song, was featured in the popular millennial television show One Tree Hill, and another was uh, featured on the 90210 reboot that came out uh, in this millennium. So... You know, a lot of times you'll see indie songs that are featured in, in television commercials or in shows because they're pretty cheap to get. Right. You know, yeah. it's good music, and they can, and the bands are willing to give it out for, for little money because that's how they get exposure. So they did have some success there. I think they're just kind of waiting to crack into that next next level. The, um, the song I decided on from this release, is, like I said, is called Corners Pressed, um, and it's just probably as, as close to Dave music as you can get, you know? <laughs> If you were going to try and, and craft that, um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being my favorite song of the, of the year by the time the year's out. Um, you know how, if you don't have Spotify, Spotify will, will rank your favorite songs based right. on how heavy you played them right. throughout the year. And so every new year, I look forward to seeing, okay, so what were my top 10? And I'm sure this one is going to be number one or number two. Uh, just, just that guitar hook is worth the price of admission. And I just, I can't explain other than it's a, kind of a, ch- a chimey kind of Johnny Marr um, real estate guitar um, that kind of drives the song. Um, it, it's repetitive, but I, I mean that in a good way because um, that hook just keeps, in fact, I would say that the, the hook comes more from the guitar riff than it does from any vocals yeah. on the song. No, I agree. Um, it's another one. I first listened, it was just, it, it's, it is the very definition of your musical taste. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, I mean, your, your list this time is, I mean, it was, it was exactly what I would expect from you. And very fortunately, because if it's, you like future islands, you, I think you would like yeah, this band. No, it, it's a fantastic number. Not one of my top three or four, but it's, it's definitely, I mean, every listen is just pure joy. It, it's just that guitar. It's riff. just a fun light, yeah. light number. Yep, yep. Yeah. That guitar is just, it's fantastic. That hook. So check out, yeah, Letting Up Despite Great Faults, which is kind of a mouthful, but uh, it's uh, some good stuff. All right, your turn. All right. Well, this one, um, I'm not sure how my how our listeners are going to react to this one. Uh, this may be one that I am the most excited to introduce you to. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and I have to thank my son for introducing oh, them boy. Here we to go. me. Okay. <laughs> uh, my younger son, Ben, currently a freshman uh, at Kent State. Um he has been a fan of these guys for probably four or five years. How he was introduced to them, I don't know. I don't know that I want to know. <laughs> but <laughs> but he, he introduced them to me, and I, I was sold, okay? Um, the name of the band, well, okay. Uh, let, me, let me give them the drum roll uh, that they deserve. Allow me to introduce you to Ninja Sex Party. <laughs> Okay, They are a rock band who has been at the forefront of American musical comedy for the past decade. Uh, Singer Dan Abaddon 
and theoretical physicist, piano player Brian Wecht, they conceived of this act where a Jewish superhero with no powers named Danny Sexbang and his best friend, the mute sociopath Ninja Brian, would write and perform songs about unsuccessfully trying to find love. And much to their amazement, the idea caught on. And they soon built a reputation as one of the funniest comedy acts in New York City. In 2011, they put out their first album, which was titled Not Safe for Work, NSFW. It was a collection of individual singles that they had released over the past two years, and they began to play comedy festivals outside of New York. Since then, the live band grew to include six members, a light show, and occasional appearances by an inflatable dinosaur. And word spread quickly from that point. And NSP, which uh, their fans, they, they called them by the abbreviation, uh, NSP has continued to wow audiences across the world, playing over 100 sold-out shows in North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, as you can probably guess by their name, they are known for songs about, well, ninjas, sex, and, and parties. Uh, those unfamiliar with the band's repertoire will likely make the immediate presumption that the jokes are immature and rely strictly on obscenity for the sake of the punchline. But that's not true, actually. Uh, it's the duo's delivery, their fanboy status, and their clever innuendo that, that makes the music much more fun than it has any right to be. Um, one could argue that NSP is a one-trick pony, as the bulk of their material is about fantasy and innuendo. And there's only so much you can write about humorous sexual encounters or slaying mythical beasts. But at the end of the day, that's kind of the point. Um, Abbott and Wecht are not trying to be the next big musical innov innovators here. They're, they're just having fun making music out of the most absurd content. And really, who's to criticize that? They've made a 13-year career of it, and that's longer than many of the most acclaimed musicians of 20th and 21st centuries. Uh, to follow their passions for that long and to experience so much growth with such a limited range of topics, it's it's really no small feat at all. Despite the fact, though, that Ninja Sex Party had no intentions of becoming musical trailblazers, they've actually done just that. And it's often difficult for such an off-color band to, to break into the mainstream, but somehow they made it work. Their 2016 album, Cool Patrol, peaked at number one on the Billboard comedy chart, number two on the top top rock albums chart and it actually hit number 21 on the Billboard 200 uh, and over the course of their 13 year career NSP has released 7 original albums, 3 covers albums and over 50 music videos they were Billboard's number 1 selling comedy act in 2018 and 2019 and they have amassed over 290 million views on YouTube their 2020 album The Prophecy also peaked at number 1 on the comedy chart and for our mixtape, I knew I wanted to include a song from that release. It's, it's a comedy rock album of epic proportions. With each and every track, you can just tell that Avedon and Wecht are, are happy to be making this music. And those positive vibes project directly into the audience with the album. Um, the obvious centerpiece, which I think you would actually enjoy, if only for the musical, uh, just the musical arrangement itself, it is a 12-minute epic song titled The Mystic Crystal, which introduces the record. Avedon, uh, who is a self-proclaimed progressive rock fanatic, he infuses here his, his adoration for the genre, and, um, and it, it just, it, it's amazing. 
he's done it before. He um, on their 2016 album, uh, there is a or 2015 rather, uh, he has a sexually charged epic that parodies Rush's seminal suite 2112. Uh, the song's called 6969. But, but nonetheless, he, the progressive rock, the actual instrumentation, Dave, is just incredible. Well, that, that's, that, that's what I said. So I, I enjoyed it. I laughed uh, for the, very much the first couple listens. Now, like any novelty tune, you know, after, you've, after oh, yeah. the joke, it's, it's still a joke you forget. Right. But musically, they're more than a novelty band. Oh, these, yeah. These guys can play. Yeah, this is the real deal. This is really, really funky. And so from a music standpoint, it's really good. And I can see myself listening to it again. If it were just the lyrical content, it might be tough to, to, con- right. to stay in rotation. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, I'd, and I haven't even given the name of the song that I've chosen. Oh, yet. we haven't talked about it yet. No. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm just... Given the background, I just yeah, I just wanted to let you know that the prog rock that they gotcha. uh, the numbers, I think you would really dig. Okay, I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. Um, are all their are lyrics as novelty as this song, which yeah. you haven't introduced yet? Okay, yeah, oh. all of them are. Yeah, um, because the the prog roots, I mean, they shine on this album from twenty twenty. The, the name of the song again is the Mystic Crystal that that uses uh, the prog elements. It tells the tale of the band's medieval journey to rescue the princess from the evil necromancer. Um, and they weave through a variety of tempos and tones while maintaining NSP's classic comedic writing. Um, and then there is another song on the record that I almost went with. It's titled uh, Thunder and Lightning. And it's a dark, heavy rocker with lyrics about Avedon's globes of massive strength and size. And considering the song's bruising backing track and the suggestive lyrics, it honestly would, f- would, it would be perfectly in place on any 80s hairband album. And that they really are the musical chameleons. And they deserve a lot of credit for it. Um, and and really, in the end, you know, I, I, I was like, do I go with the balladry of Wondering Tonight or the Queen-like gusto of I don't know what we're talking about and I haven't for a while. In the end, I went, I, I know you don't know any of these song titles. I just get really excited by this. I, I'm sorry. Folks, you want to check out the entire album. Uh, is, yeah, you've convinced incredible. me at this point. But the one that I went with is titled Welcome to My Parents' House. And it is just a groovy swagger of a failed attempt to bring a girl home that you have met on the dance floor and be interrupted by your parents. It is, it, it's, uh, how much do I give you without spoiling the song? I'm, it's just a fun, funky energy. 
And it's a good bet that if you are a Gen X parent, you have lived this song. Okay, not as the protagonist necessarily, although I think everybody has probably lived the song as the protagonist, but rather as the parents. Well, I think the idea is we Xers, we we got our own place as soon as we are out of college or out of high school. Now the millennial mindset has been a lot of people move back in with their parents. Right. And that's where the humor jumps off because you obviously have limited privacy yep. even as an adult if you're living with your parents. Agreed. Yeah, and these guys, they are actually Gen Xers. These guys are mid-40s. Okay. Okay, so that's part of the appeal and they are, they're, they're one of us. And the millennials and the Gen Zers, they're eating these guys up. And, but it's all Gen X humor. Yeah. I mean, it's all popular cultural references from start to finish. Um, yeah, I don't want to get too much away about the song, uh, Welcome to My Parents' House, because any attempt to explain the track would end in spoilers. But it is a song best heard with no introduction. So yep. Yep. that was long-winded, and I got overexcited, and I apologize. But these guys, it's just, they're funny as hell, and they genuinely know how to rock and roll. And they reference pizza rolls. They do. They do. That are free. <laughs> <laughs> and then be sure to listen for Marvin, Grandma's Basset Hound. He's, he's, he's wonderful, too. So Yeah, good stuff. This one stood out to me right away when, I, when you shared your list. So I had no idea what it was, but I liked it. I, I wasn't sure what you would think of it. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you what, I actually took Ben to see them live. Okay. And it, it was an all-acoustic concert. Uh, that was the gimmick this time. They they took all their songs and they did acoustic covers of their own music. And everybody in that audience, it was a sold out show in, in Columbus. Um, but everybody at that show, if they were not wearing Ninja Sex Party t-shirts, 201, they were wearing Weird Al Yankovic t-shirts. Yeah. They seem to me to be, a, there's another subgenre since we're talking about subgenres called right. Nerdcore. So I don't know if they would, would fall under Nerdcore. Oh, without question. Okay. Yeah, yeah. very much. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Oh, I, I can't get enough of him. And and Ben, he gives me a hard time because he introduces me to so much music. And most of it is actually fantastic. And he has time and again, when I've told him about our themes for the mixtapes, he started rattling off a number of artists and a number of songs that he thinks I should include. And I listen to them and honestly, they're all very good. Ben has a great ear for music, but I've never used any. Yeah, well, there you go. And he gets okay. so pissed at me. <laughs> so this time I knew, yeah, it was time to introduce the world to Ninja Sex Party, so... There you go. Wow. <laughs> epic. All right. So speaking of epic, uh, my next one, I think it would be described as that. Um, it's a band that mm, probably most people may have heard of. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, but they, they have had a lot more commercial success than some of the other bands I've introduced. Now, they, they haven't had any top 100 singles on Billboard, but they have done well on, on the alternative charts. Uh, I'm talking about the band Silver Sun Pickups and their song Lazy Eye.
I did use Silver Sun pickups in a previous episode. Do you remember? Scary Halloween song Bloody Mary. That was them? That was Silver okay. Sun pickups. Okay. Yep. Yep. And um, this, alter- this California alternative rock band led by Brian Albert released its first album in 2007. So this is their debut album. And they've never looked back. Um, the single, Lazy Eye, reached number five on the alternative charts. And the video, here we go, received heavy airplay when MTV was still playing music at the time. Which surprises me that they were still playing music yeah, I was gonna say as this, late as 2007. I was going to say this is 2000, song since 2000, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I thought MTV stopped like... Maybe they really tried it. Maybe, the, maybe it was in the middle of the night when they needed some programming. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. I, I really thought that they stopped by 2000 and music videos were a thing of the past. Wow. It, it was also featured in the video uh, game Rock Band 2, which was a staple in my household along, uh, household along with um, uh, Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero. Uh, yeah. My kids and I loved playing that. And, uh, and this, this particular song uh, was represented in that version of the game as well. Um, so they they got some exposure early on, which really helped kind of launch them. Um, I just I just love their stuff. A friend of mine introduced them to me. A friend of mine who who likes indie music, but but he's been complaining since since then about how uh, everything's been kind of guitar based indie singer songwriter stuff, which he likes, but he just misses that just rock, a uh, little bit harder, edgier stuff, you know. And um, I think they they they. Fill the bill here. Not they're not metal. They're not necessarily hard rock, but there's a there's definitely an edge to their music. Um, they have their sweeter and softer moments, but that those moments are quickly interrupted by these louder elements, guitar distortion, heavy percussion that give it that darker edge. Um, for this reason, you can often hear their music as bumper music on sporting events and like other types of like you know radio shows and so forth. I'm always hearing a Silver Sun pickup song somewhere. And they're like, you know who that is? I'm like, yeah, it's Silver Sun Pickups. And, oh, I've heard of them. But most people, you know, like I say, it just lends itself to being good bumper music for whatever reason. Um, I've had the opportunity to see them live at least twice. Um, and each one was just a memorable show. They give a great live show. And don't let the initial smashing pumpkin sound fool you. Because a lot of people hear them for the first time. And it sounds Smashing Pumpkin-esque. Very, very reminiscent. And it doesn't help that the... And I'm not trying to degrade Smashing Pumpkins. I like Smashing Pumpkins. But the lead singer sounds very similar to Billy Corgan. He's a very, very high-pitched voice. In fact, a lot of people feel that... Uh, my wife thought it was a female vocalist when she heard them for the first time. Because um, he's, he's got a very high range. Um, but if you like Smashing Pumpkins, you'll like Silver Sun pickups. But they're their own thing. They really are. But it's, a long, it's in that same vein, so that okay. might help you if you decide you want to listen to them. Um, if you're wondering, as I was, the band, uh, is, they named themselves after a California liquor store called Silver Sun Liquor. And uh, they had to do a lot of pickups late at night when they were working on their album. So that's why they're the Silver Sun pickups. They'd Got say, it. hey, can you stop at Silver Sun on your way and pick me up some alcohol? So actually, they're the Silver Sun pickups. Actually pretty clever. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Um, okay, so they did Bloody Mary as well. They also have a big song, uh, a Panic Switch, was also a big uh, alternative hit. Hmm. Um, and yeah, they just they just had a new album just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's just as strong as their earlier stuff. It's really really good stuff. In fact, I think I like their their new album. Uh, maybe maybe my second favorite album in their catalog. Okay, yeah, I have to give it a listen. Yeah, I I only know the two songs that you've included on our mixtapes. Um, 
this one and, and one from uh, last Halloween. But I, uh, interesting. Yeah. No, I, Silver Sun pickups. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who, you know, does the beer run should very, very much uh, deserves to be the name of, um, to be credited with the name of a band. I like that. Yeah, the, the lead singer, actually, they formed the band when he, he met the uh, the bass player. Um, she was, I think they were on, they were on a plane, I think. They were going to some exchange program uh, in, in college to, to some other country. And he saw her steal uh, drinks from the alcohol cart and knew he had to like meet this this girl. And so they struck up a conversation and realized they had uh, similar taste in music and they became the core of the band. That's awesome. Yeah. Huh. Can you tell I have a thing for female bass I, players? Too? I, I do, yeah. <laughs> um, I just have a thing for female, so it's, you know, there you go. Um, no, that's very cool. Um, all right, well, my next one. If I went on far too long for Ninja Sex Party, I'm gonna go far too short for these guys because I could find nothing about them. Nothing. Uh, I went to their website, and here is what I found by them for them. Uh, the name of the band is Kids That Fly, and the name of the song is Kiss Her You Fool. Kids That Fly, and this is word for word, Kids That Fly is an alternative pop band that formed out of the University of Connecticut in the fall of 2018. Known for their engaging and energetic live performances, Kids That Fly gained popularity on campus and things only took off from there. The four-piece act never fails to draw in a crowd with their tastefully catchy songs along with the euphoric energy they give off during their shows. That was, that was the gist of what I found online, folks. I mean, there's nothing about these guys. I looked everywhere from Reddit to the, the various musical, um, you know, review sites. They just, I don't know if they just are not known yet outside of UConn or, or what's happening, but here's the thing. They should be known. Well, here's my question. Since they're one of those obscure bands that there are uh, like thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of them out there, how did you discover them? Spotify. There you go. The algorithm. Yep. Spotify threw this song at me and man, I was immediately hooked. I love this song. So here's what I've been able to deduce about them. Um, first of all, they, their debut EP 
uh, was released in April 2019, and it was titled Love Sick. It does feature a single uh, titled It's True, which received some modest airplay on modern rock stations. I'm guessing that COVID has interfered with their plans for a debut album because they have, in the past three years, released several one-off singles. The singles keep coming, but there's not been a second EP. There's been no LP. Um, and I can only think COVID, and we talked about this already, I think COVID probably probably uh, you know set them back in some way, maybe um, disrupted their momentum like we had talked about with Carolyn Rose, but I don't know that for certain. It's just my, my best hunch. The first of the one-off singles um, that they have that they released following that EP, that is the song that I've chosen. Um, Kiss Her You Fool, uh, first of all, the track opens with a percussive shuffle and bright background vocals before imparting good advice to its lovelorn protagonist. I mean, it, it's, it's a feel-good vibe, and it sounds a bit like, you know, I, I, I really struggled with this. To me, and I don't know if you can imagine such a thing, but it sounds a bit like The Strokes if performed by the Fratellis. Mm, interesting. Um, there's even a bit of, I mean, as I started listening more and more, I started to see a bit of Blink-182 thrown in there. Hmm. Um, but the truth is, everything that I've heard by them now, because I've listened to everything on Spotify, there's not much there, all of it sounds so incredibly familiar. But none of it sounds like anything else that I've heard, if that makes any sense. It's, it's just... There are a number of acts that come close, but nothing that is truly, truly, you know, a major influence. Now, now the band, they do say that they're heavily influenced by contemporary alternative rock. Um, they cite the 1975 Hippocampus, the Black Keys, all as major influences. And, and I can see how they pull inspiration from these acts, but um, really they create an alternative pop sound that just, it stands alone, even though it sounds so vividly familiar. I, I, it's just kind of uncanny to me. Their fan base, I guess, continues to grow as new fans discover and connect with them. Um, I really think they have a bright future, but that, that's based just on the, the recordings I've heard. But Kiss Are You Fool, it's, it is just, oh man, when, when that hook begins, I'm, I'm just, I'm all in. Well, I put them in the same category as Bleachers, at least based on the two the songs that you've chosen here. Right. Um, and actually, at the same note, I mean, this is another high-energy indie pop tune that will get you going in the morning. Yeah. When you don't feel like moving, this is another one you put on. If you make a playlist of songs to motivate you to do stuff, definitely uh, put this one on there. Yeah. And I just, I love the message of the song, too. I mean, it's, it's you know, as someone who in my youth was very insecure, you know, when it came to relationships... It's just, it, it's one friend telling the other. You take know, a risk. Take a risk. Yeah. I mean, call her, tell her that you forgot to tell her something. Tell her you love her. Kiss her, you fool. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's a brilliantly simple song that not only imparts great wisdom, but it's, it's just, it's catchy as hell. Yeah. So, yeah, good tune. Good tune. There, there you go. go. All right, my next to last one here is um, another kind of very, very small band. I mean, the, the band itself is small, but I mean, its exposure, I think, is somewhat limited. It's uh, by a band called Atlas Genius, and I chose a song from their debut album, When It Was Now, and I chose the title track, which came out in 2013.
there's a connection to this band and Silver Sun Pickups. Hmm. When I saw Silver Sun up at a House of Blues in Cleveland, Atlas Genius was the opening act. In fact, they're actually touring with Silver Sun as we speak. So there's, there's some kind of connection there where they, I'm not exactly sure how they found each other, but they can obviously get along because they're still touring with them. Um, so Atlas Genius is an Australian band that was founded by two brothers who were fans of the Beatles, Beck, the police. Um, and they nail that, I want to call it, it's like a, the, the old new wave sound, if that makes sense. Um, similar to like MTMG. Remember MTMG? Oh, yeah. That I, I think that was last year's Uncharted. And when they took the stage in Cleveland, because like I said, opening bands are either hit or miss sometimes, right? Uh, I remember about the third song in, I, I, I leaned over to my friend and I said, I feel like I'm at a John Hughes prom because it, it had that 80s new wave sound. And this is before I'd heard MTMG and before I'd heard a lot of these bands that are kind of, re, you know, rediscovering the 80s sound. So this was, you know, back in 2013. So I was like, wow, like the 80s might make a comeback because this is really good. And if you would have told me that this band is playing music from, you know, 1985 uh, from a John Humes film, I would have believed you. It, it, it was kind of a shock to the system, a pleasant shock mm-hmm. to the system. And, and so I went and picked up their, their debut album, the only album they had at the time. Instantly fell in love with every track. Every track is great. And they had a couple singles. Trojans uh, was a single, um, If So. And then I'm not even sure if when it was now was a single, but it's my favorite one on the record. Um, it, it did find commercial success, though. The album actually hit number 34 on the Billboard 200 albums chart. Hmm. Went to number 34. Now, it may have helped that they were featured on. Are you ready? This is a shock to me. MTV2. Maybe I have to start watching MTV2 because it seems like they are a little more music-based. MTV2 played them on 120 minutes in 2013. 120 minutes was still around in 2013, which makes me ask, is 120 minutes still around? Because what I just described earlier about finding a music channel that plays new alternative music may still exist. And so I need to check that out. Huh. I, yeah. I no longer have cable. We, we cut, cut the cord. And, um, Do you have a, a live service like YouTube TV or Sling? No. Okay. I, we, we have every streaming platform imaginable, okay. right. which means we pay about the same if not more than we did for cable right. but it's all on demand and right. you know very nearly I think the only one we do not have is Peacock I'm pretty sure we have every other streaming service but I uh, no I, no, we don't have any live um, I, I have Hulu but it's we don't have the live Hulu um, I don't know well I'll, I'll, I'll check I'll check out and find out if 120 minutes is still being played because well, if so that's that's a great find right there That that might be worth at least buying one of the the, yeah, the live, you know. I was platforms. I was shocked when I when I when I read that. 
Um, another track from this, uh, I think it was If So, was featured in the FIFA video game uh, around the time. You know, video games is another huge uh, vehicle for music because, again, you can get it cheap. Um, these newer bands are willing to, 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 to give it up for cheap. And uh, it's a great way to get their, their music out to everybody. Um, the band, unfortunately, like a few of the other ones we've discussed here recently, have been kind of quiet of late. Their second and most recent album was released in 2015. Okay. But the fact that they're out touring with Silver Sun this year has me hope, hoping that uh, they got some new material coming out because they're just really solid, good stuff. That's very cool. Yeah, no, I, I really dug it. And it is. It's pure new. Yep. Pure new wave. I mean, it's... Like you, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that it was just an unreleased track right. from you know early to mid-80s that I had never heard. Uh, so I was... And it's got a great hook, which, you know, for me, is important. Yeah. No, I, I was sold. Um, it's good stuff. All right. Well, I, um, I didn't want a repeat of last season because last season I was very heavy on... Uh, the the retro sound, especially uh, R and B retro, uh, but I can't have a list and not include at least one. This is the one. Uh, this is "Cry, Cry, Cry" by Judith Hill. That name you might know. You might know Judith Hill. I mean, she was a Prince collaborator. Um, now, not a Prince protege. Vanity, Apollonia, Carmen Electra, those were proteges. Prince actually contacted Hill out of the blue when she casually mentioned in an interview that she would love to work with him, and the result was the album "Back in Time," which was released in 2015. Prince and Hill worked side by side to create the album, which included this track cry 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 uh, the album included 11 tracks and it was produced by prince who also co-wrote four songs on the album with hill uh, as trains go by turn up wild tonight and the title track back in time he also appeared singing background vocals and occasional lead vocals on the album and played guitar and bass guitar throughout but hill stardom was destined to happen with or without purple royalty 
Uh, she was a lifelong resident, still is, a lifelong resident of the greater Los Angeles area. Born in North Hollywood, she grew up amidst the city's smog gridlock traffic. Her black father, uh, Robert Lee Peewee Hill, was a bassist, and her Japanese mother, Michiko, was a pianist. And the pair met as members of drummer Chester Thompson's band. Her dad was also the bassist for Billy Preston, who used to come to the Hill House regularly and play the organ. Um, when she went to uh, school, um, she focused on music and eventually, as a high school junior, attended the College of the Canyons, which was an arts-focused high school uh, that doubled as a community college. Uh, there she excelled at jazz and big band. Um, so, I mean, she's, she's well-versed in, in a number of musical genres. She developed a particular affinity for French Impressionist composers, uh, particularly Ravel, um, when in college, and toured for a while with uh, me, uh, Michael Ponareff. I'm not going to try and pronounce that with, in the French, but Michael Ponareff, whom she describes as the French Elton John, I guess. So, I mean, she, she had a lot of uh, experience leading up to the time that she found herself back in L.A. trying to figure out her next move. She was about to take a job at The Gap, but on the same day she was due to start selling jeans, she got hired to sing with Michael Jackson, who at the time was preparing for his This Is It show at London's O2 Arena. Uh, Jackson died, though, before the shows could be performed, and footage exists of Hill singing with him, but she never had the opportunity to do so before a live audience. But millions around the world were introduced to her for the first time at Jackson's uh, memorial uh, service, where she sang Men in the Mirror. Um, and, it, you know, critics raved that it was beautiful and spiritual. She really made a first impression that, that was pretty killer. Then, after Jackson's death, Hill got back into songwriting. She worked with Eurythmics' Dave Stewart for a spell. Then she sang back up for Stevie Wonder for about a year. And then she appeared in the fourth season of The Voice. Uh, where she was a sensation for her impassioned covers of Always On My Mind and You've Got a Friend. She was eliminated during the top eight round, which frankly pissed a lot of people off. So she had many inroads, but none of them quite led to the success that she needed until Prince came calling. Long story short. Um, Hill is old at heart, and back in time is adamantly retro. Uh, it marks her as another entrant in that increasingly crowded market for vintage R&B. Um, most of the artists mining that territory, they, they kind of fall into three camps. Um, in one, you have the commercial juggernauts like Adele, um, who take the old bones of soul and kind of spruce them up with contemporary production. Then in another, you have a singer like D'Angelo, uh, who is engaged in just monomaniacal projects to push beyond the limiting tropes of classic R&B. The third is populated by, by labels like Brooklyn's Daptone, okay? Probably made most famous by Sharon Jones before her passing, who kind of refused to update the old school sound in any way. That's where Hill kind of settles. She has this strong voice with a range and a tough sandpapery touch, and she's, she's confident working with a brass section, potent horns. Might overwhelm a lesser singer, but she displays wide knowledge of her source material. She picks and chooses what she wants from 70s and 80s funk, um, and, and really she is just, oh, she's just phenomenal. I mean, I, I see in her a lot of Aretha and I hear a lot of Aretha when she, when she sings, cry, cry, cry is definitely in that wheelhouse. 
and I think it demonstrates her, her vocal prowess better than most of the other tracks on the album. But from start to finish, I mean, there is there's definite influence uh, from everybody from the Gap Band to Etta James. I mean, it's just, it, the album is just phenomenal. But Cry, 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 it only made sense to use that track as my selection for today's mixtape because it is the most powerful that it really kind of lets her use her voice as the instrument. And I love it. Well, similar to Don't Lose Sight, uh, my notes to say, uh, how, how do I know you would pick a funky, soulful song that, uh, <laughs> that uh, chooses a, a, a the soulful, bluesy, after-hours style? Great song. It's just a great song. Oh, yeah. I mean, blues blues is blues, and, and, and you know, it, it's hard to reinvent blues. Um, but every so often, you, you get a, a, someone that just takes a fresh, has a fresh take on the same old blues scale. And she does in oh. this one. It's great. Yeah, I love it. It's her. great. Yep. I'm glad you liked it. Yep. I'm always hesitant with the retro stuff because I can get really carried away with it. But um, and last season, I think very nearly every pick was retro for me. And I'm trying to sequence that with your new wave. <laughs> right, it, was it, was, it was a little difficult. But um, yeah, I had to include at least one. And yeah, Judith Hill was my go-to this season. Nice. Yeah, I have not heard of her. So that was a new one for me. All right, my last pick, going out with a, a banger, as you say, not a British sausage. <laughs> I went with a song uh, called Ohio by Cherry Glazer from uh, there or her, depending on how you look at it, 2019 album Stuffed and Ready. Last week, I featured a song about our home state, you know, from uh, Sun Kill Moon. Why not repeat myself? Uh, this song is simply called Ohio, and uh, it's from the L.A. grunge band Cherry Glazer. Uh, the band also incorporates elements of punk, new wave, and garage rock in their sound. And uh, I don't know why the song is called Ohio. There's nothing lyrically in it that suggests that it's about Ohio. So perhaps it's about someone she knew from Ohio and that's kind of like a, a code name for the person or maybe she spent some time in Ohio, but it's called Ohio. Um, Stuffed and Ready is their third and most recent release, dropping in 2019. Um, Jerry Glazer is, is primarily singer-songwriter Clementine Creevy, and she said the record marks an evolution from her teenage Let's Save the World material to a more mature and cynical writing style where she attempts to, as she says, describe her feelings rather than hide behind them. Hmm. Um, again, I don't know why it's called Ohio. <laughs> Maybe she just loves the name uh, rhythmically. Uh, I, in fact, I don't even know. She didn't even use the song, the name Ohio in the song. So that even can't be it. So there's, I'm sure, more to the story there somewhere. But... Either way, it's it's such a great sound. Um, it's it's so powerful. The guitars are great. Uh, the fact that grunge isn't isn't dead yet, um, that there are still still bands uh, working in that genre, 
really, really, really makes me hopeful that someday uh, maybe there'll be a resurgence of that sound here coming up soon. What do you think of Cherry Glazer? I really, I like her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all oh, it's good stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just good old rock and roll. The same friend that, that, that bemoans uh, to me about, you know, every, every guy in a guitar um, kind of music is always the one that introduced me to Silver Sun introduced me to Cherry Glazer. He said, this okay. is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm looking for in, in new music. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, and I, I can I can see his or her view, but I don't know the friend necessarily, but I, it's, I, I definitely see the viewpoint. I, I um, yeah, no, this is just, this is just good, good music. It's yeah. just good rock yeah. and roll. Yeah. And yeah, very, very much in the grunge, yep. you know, and if you Trope, listen to so. to the entire album, you listen to the other other stuff. You can you can see the song in isolation seems to have have really nothing to say much. But I think when you combine it with everything else, you do see that uh, artist really kind of bearing her soul and finally coming to grips with who she is as she's mature. Because she started as a teenager in in the music industry, and her album, you know, first album was more of a kind of maybe naive uh, idealism. Which isn't always a bad thing. No. But uh, like a lot of artists, like Neil Young um, always talks about, he, like Sugar Mountain, he's, at least at the time, like in the in the early 70s, was really embarrassed by that song. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a great song about transitioning, you know, into adulthood before you're ready. Um, and, and, but you can see maybe when you write something when you're younger and then you get a little bit older and a little bit wiser and you look back and you're like, wow, I was kind of, you know, painting with some broad strokes there and I didn't really understand what I was talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, it's still good. It's still good. Yeah. I think she's been a little hard on herself. Yeah. I actually, there are so many veteran rockers, especially in interviews, I've heard them say just that about various songs that they recorded when they were younger. So um, it's the age. Yeah. I think you would be at a loss if you did not have the, that naivete. Right. I, I think it'd be really unfortunate to be so cynical that young. So right. no, I, I totally get it. Um no, I, I really, I dug her. Or them, yeah. Them, I mean, them, it's, it's, yeah. It's just, it's fantastic. So. Clearly a band, but uh, yeah. you get the sense that she's she's very much in control of that band. Yeah. No, it's definitely her project. So, all right. Well, my last pick uh, for this mixtape uh, is by Adam Douglas. It is a song titled "Change My Mind." Down. And you 
won't catch my gypsy heart sticking around. Cause I know I've gotta keep moving to feel alive till somebody comes to change my mind. Till somebody says I love you and the earth cracks where you're standing. And you find all the answers to the questions you've been asking. I don't know if that exists for me, but I keep looking till I find somebody to come and change my mind. I didn't know Billy Vare and the Beaters was still around. Right? Yeah. Did, is, am I wrong? I, I totally heard Billy Vare and the Beaters here. To an extent. Okay. To an extent. All right. Um, Better Angels, released in 2020, is the third studio album from Adam Douglas. Uh, it stretches the boundaries of nearly every genre. Douglas unleashes his expressive vocals on classic soul, blues, rock, R&B, jazz, gospel, and all of it is neatly wrapped in a big band sound. Uh, it's free of any genre constraint, and it allows him to foster a, a deep sense of liberation and I think just downright joy. Um he is originally from Oklahoma. He was born and raised there. And from Tulsa's Route 66, he eventually found himself in the Scandinavian fjords. His, his home now is in Oslo, Norway. That's where he's lived now for uh, about 13 years, I believe. Um, and his list of inspirations continues to evolve over time. Um, the striking Norway by way of Oklahoma musician has never left a piece of his personal puzzle out of his music. Um, he, uh, he just, how do I say it? His, his voice is equally grand and refreshing to me. I mean, it's a sound that embraces the ups and downs of his life as he ponders aloud uh, in his songs and provides warmth with just this unique amalgamation of intricately crafted music, but but he expresses vocally in a way that, that is very hard to define by genre. Um, it's just a very, very deliberate sound that is unlike anything else that I've, I've heard. Now, yeah, you, you bring up Billy Vera. I can totally see that. Vera, though, is very much a lounge jazz act right um and maybe if this is the only song you've heard this is the only song i've heard then i can see the the comparison but he he can play a mean blue slide guitar i mean he can um he he's just he's multi-instrumentalist and he he can do just about anything well it's not just musically though even more lyrically oh lyrically this sounded like a billy vera song yeah i can see it for this one it's it's like kind of you know a sad song but has hope it's one of those yeah you know yeah, no, I totally see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a child, um, he was he he really came to a lot of people's attention because, uh, <clears throat> as young as I guess seven or eight years old, um, he already could harness this enormous four octave vocal range. So I mean, he he had control uh, vocally that that very few, especially boys that at at that age, are, are usually blessed with. And with virtually no musical talent or interest in his family, he, he had to seek his inspiration elsewhere. So he began with the recordings of Helen Wolf, Lead Belly, Louis Armstrong, Ray Charles, and he just worked his way forward, uh, eventually landing on artists like Elton John, Tom Petty, Bonnie Rayet. Um, 
and it culminated in a love and appreciation of musical history, really. Um, he traveled the U.S. with a number of bands before he finally uh, made his way to Europe. And with plenty of you know life experience and traveling and having seen the world at that point, um, he was very happy to make a home and a name for himself um, far from the constraint of American life. Um, and I guess in Norway, he's really made a, a name for himself. Um, as a musician, I guess he's he's just a firework on stage, but he's, he's actually a shy guy from what I've read. Um, but he draws from the celebrated stars of soul music. I mean, he just, he lets his, his big voice compete for the attention with, with the guitar. Um, sometimes that culminates in an electric live show, uh, which is never the same twice. He, uh, he's most comfortable being on, how, how did he say it? I read this in an interview. He is most comfortable being the worst musician on stage hmm. because he likes to surround himself by a band that breathes down his neck and kind of pushes just him, yeah. pushes him, never yeah. lets him rest. Um, that sounds, said, that sounds like that sounds like me. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he said he prefers to have a choir on one side, a horn section on the other, and through the years he he's I guess refined his live show by playing as much as possible. Um, he likes to deliver the unforgettable unforgettable moments. He likes to become as good as possible. Um, I, I think he's well on his way. But as far as the song that I chose, um, Douglas says that changed my mind is what he calls a, a midlife analysis. Uh, it's basically a self-searching song. Uh, he says that um, it's a song that questions the existence of romantic love while remaining optimistic that it still awaits him. So to put it another way, the track finds Douglas looking back on his life's journey to better face an uncertain future. Um, there's a reflective tempo that deepens his muse that expands into a massive orchestral sweep. Um, the musical arrangement, it's its a warm tide. It kind of ebbs to reveal the sparkling clarity of his unaccompanied voice. He's a cappella for a while during the number. I, it gives me chills on every listen, but I can totally see where where you're coming from with that. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah track based isolation. on that one song. Yeah. So, what, good or bad? No, good, yeah. Oh, okay. Bill, Billy Vera, sometimes he's just, some people relegate, I now at this moment, I, I love that song but a lot of people relegate it to like guilty pleasure territory well no so. I just mean it, it was Billy Bear in the sense it was very introspective okay about his life and gotcha you know okay. maybe not being as lucky in love I don't know I didn't didn't study the lyrics but I got the sense that like the right person hasn't come along yeah. yet yeah that's that's exactly what it is it sounds like a, a Billy Vera okay yeah Billy Vera is, he's another artist that a lot of people use as a punchline so I wasn't sure if you were no. speaking in reverence or if you were speaking well, as well neither it just, it just something reminded me okay. of it maybe thematically okay I didn't know if we were talking Billy Murray as the lounge singer here no or what, no, what no, you no. were thinking nope, so. nope, 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 nope. gotcha okay very cool alright well those are all our picks and so we are going to take some time and sequence these and uh, I think it's it's not going to be very difficult this time I think these songs the core of these songs are going to lend themselves uh, really well oh I would definitely agree yeah alright well we will be right back after this alright we're back and Alan why don't you tell them what the mixtape order will be alright so for our second uncharted mixtape folks the order goes like this. Side A begins with Roller Coaster by The Bleachers, which leads into Welcome to My Parents' House by Ninja Sex Party, followed by Be Your Man by DeMob Happy, and When It Was Now by Atlas Genius. Carry Me Ohio by Sunkill Moon, followed by Father John Misty's Total Entertainment Forever. That leads to Fur 
which goes to Rundown Neighborhood. That is followed by Barton Hollow by The Civil Wars, Ragged Wood by Fleet Foxes, All Will Be Well by The Gabe Dixon Band, and we end Side A with Myth by Beach House. Side B begins with Is This How You Feel by The Preachers. That goes into Lazy Eye by Silver Sun Pickups, followed by Don't Lose Sight by Lawrence and Ohio by Cherry Glazer. Dreams Tonight by Always Into Two Weeks by Grizzly Bear. Corners Pressed by Letting Up Despite Great Faults. That that band's name is a mouthful. And I don't think it has, <laughs> so, it doesn't have an acronym that works either. So it's not like some bands that Yeah, that'd have be, a, what would that be? Ludguff. Ludguff. <laughs> um, yeah, Corners Pressed, Letting Up Despite Great Faults. Uh, Feel the Way I Want by Carolyn Rose. Is it Carolyn or Caroline? Caroline Rose. Carolyn Rose, okay. Kiss Her You Fool by Kids That Fly into Cry, Cry, Cry by Judith Hill. Evan Finds the Third Room by Krungbin. Krungbin? Krungbin. Krungbin. Um, I will eventually well, get that right. it's not easy. Yeah, I don't speak Thai. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we end with uh, Change My Mind by Adam Douglas. That, folks, is our second. Perfect, perfect song to end. Uncharted mixtape. Yeah. Yep. And we only have one episode left, or, or one two-part episode left this season, and that will be our annual Christmas holiday, not just Christmas, but holiday uh, show, Yep. which we normally don't have any theme other than these are just you know uh, holiday songs that we dig and we think you would like. Some of them you probably heard, some of them you may not have. And uh, we're going to do the same thing we did last year. The, the first year, we, we released it right around Christmas. And that's when a lot of people get burnt out by Christmas music at right. that point. Yeah. Since you start hearing it in stores, you know, before Halloween. So we're going to release this around, um, you know, Thanksgiving time. So, um, you know, right when you're excited, hopefully, to listen to holiday music, you can listen to this uh, broadcast yeah. as well. Like Dave, you can wait until Santa shows up in the Macy's Day yes. Parade, and then you can press play. Isn't that when you said yep. you'd run to the basement? I was not allowed to yeah. get out, which I guess I get now as a parent, how annoying it would be to hear the chipmunks uh, in July. But uh, Oh, I don't know. Chipmunks. <laughs> I think I could listen to the chipmunks any time of the year. I still remember all the albums. Chipmunk Punk. That was uh, my favorite. Yeah. Chipmunk the Christmas punk. ones, you know, my parents didn't yeah. want to hear that. So, yeah. so yeah, I had I had a window, I had a window between uh, the between Thanksgiving and and New Year's. Wonder if Alvin ever got his hula hoop. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, don't think Alvin, they. Alvin would be quite old at this point. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. The elderly yes. chipmunk. An elderly chipmunk. Um, quite likely. Yeah. All right. Um, Anything else you want to add here before we uh, take off? Well, once again, I, w- I want to remind our, our listeners about our Patreon account. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what we're doing with that yet, <laughs> but um, and and certainly you don't you do not need to contribute. That's not why we why we do this. But any help that you can give us, what we do does take a bit of of. Uh, it takes some funding, so if anything that you would be willing to to you know to what am I trying to say? Just 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 to help us offset some costs. Yeah. Um, so um, and eventually we're we're still brainstorming different uh, tiers or or you know different uh, gifts that that would be given to those that that uh, contribute, but. We do have a Patreon account, so check that out if you like what we do and you think the link's uh, on the website. You would like to to help us out. Um, once again, you can find all of our playlists on the website. We are on Spotify. Every mixtape that we create, we let you uh, have. Um, you don't have to contribute to the Patreon account to, to receive those mixtapes. Uh, the playlists are right there, easy to find. And leave a review on Apple or Spotify if you enjoy us. Oh, yeah, please. Um, we've, we've been very fortunate. This has been a fantastic season. Uh, we have 
picked up so many listeners and our, our followers on social media. It's just, it's humbling, really, how many people are now listening with us and, and joining us on this crazy journey that we, we started three years ago. Um, season four will bring us back uh, probably, I'm not sure when season four will actually begin. but Yeah, usually we, we start it uh, pretty Pretty late in the spring, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah. yeah. So, but we will definitely be back and any help that you can give us to, to continue to grow our audience is greatly appreciated for our return when we do. That's all I got. All right. Well, that's all for now. Hot, funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits in two weeks. But for now, press pause, lift the needle and hit eject and we will see you on the flip side. In a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Of time.